0: Our body instinctively spotted that cue, even if consciously you didn't realize it. And we don't want to be rejected socially, right? Back in our caveman days, that would have threatened our survival. So what happens is our body immediately adapts to it, widens our field of vision to see, does anyone else not like me? What's my escape route? What do I do next? Cues that we spot not only affect us subconsciously where we get that spidey sense, it actually changes our physiology.
1: Hey everybody, if you're tuning into this podcast, know that we're actually gonna be having a lot of visual cues during this episode. So if you haven't been to YouTube, subscribe to the channel and look at the episode there, you'll actually get so much more out of watching the video version of this podcast. So I'll encourage you to go, it's in the show notes, and we'll get started with another amazing episode with Vanessa Van Edwards. Hi everybody, this is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling With Love podcast. I have a returning guest, an amazing woman when it comes to body language, and now expanding into also understanding cues that go beyond just what the body communicates, but how our voice also communicates, and so much more of the subtleties that make somebody be charismatic, or not. And so if you're not familiar with Vanessa Van Edwards, she is the national best-selling author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. It's been translated in 17 languages, 52 million people have seen her YouTube on her viral TEDx talking more about body language. She's a keynote speaker at South by Southwest MIT, has worked with companies such as Fast Company, USA Today, CNN, CBS, and more. And now we're so excited because her latest book is coming out today. Cues Master the Secret Language of Charismatic Communication. This is gonna be an action that I want everyone to take while you listen to this podcast is in the show note, the book is there. When you support an author on the day of launch, it is huge. And what you're about to learn today is gonna be a taste of the amazing insights you're gonna get from this book. And I'm so happy to have Vanessa coming back on the show. Vanessa, welcome.
0: Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction and hello everyone. It's so nice to be here on launch day.
1: That's right and well, you're on the Selling with Love podcast. And you know, I really love everything you've taught the audience in the past. So I know we're in for a treat. So I'm going to jump right into it. So you already had the book Captivate, which was a gold mine, And now it sounds like we missed out on something or something needed to be developed even further. And we're talking about cues. So can you tell us a bit more about this inspiration and what happened?
0: Yeah. You know, it's so funny when I wrote Captivate, that was everything that I wanted people to know in terms of people, skills and communication. But there was a piece that was missing and I didn't realize it. 17 years ago, I started a little folder on my desktop called Curious Cues. And this was right at the start of my career. I started YouTube in 2007. I know I'm aging myself. I know, (laughs) been been on there forever. And as I was watching other people's videos and I was watching news interviews, I would notice these really interesting little cues. Like for example, here were some of my first entries in this little database, Amanda Knox lying or maybe not lying on television. That was a interview where I noticed all this odd body language and incongruent Facial expressions. So I took those notes. Lance Armstrong lying about doping. A Rod lying about doping. So I had all these cues. And then, of course, years later, they would come out and say, Yep, I was doping. Or, you know, someone would come out and um, it turned out they were lying. And I'd go back to that original interview and be like, somehow my spidey sense knew something was off, but I couldn't put my finger on what. And so after Captivate came out, I went back to that folder and I was adding cues to it. It was right at the peak of the election, so there's lots of cues happening in the US. And so I was adding notes to this folder and I started to look at patterns. I started to notice that after 17 years of collecting all these cues, there were patterns that the bad guys used, right? When people lie or show guilt or shame, there was cues that were appearing over and over again. And there were also cues that I noticed from highly charismatic people, the people who were winning elections and also celebrities that everyone loved, politicians everyone loved, historical figures. And I thought to myself, there's something here. What if we could come up with a blueprint for the cues that humans send each other to know the bad ones and the good ones. So not only we can spot them, but also we can send them more purposefully. And that ended up being five years later, cues.
1: That is amazing. And just within that dialogue, I have so many questions.
0: Can I give you a compliment first? Oh.
1: I will never refuse a compliment.
0: Okay. So the name of your podcast is Selling with Love and your book. And I was like, this is the most brilliant title because it has a cue in it. So can I tell you what the cues are?
1: I would love for you to tell what the cue is and also even give us some more examples of these cues because maybe someone's listening here and being like, what is a cue?
0: Yes, that would be a good idea. I should tell you what cues are. Okay, yes, let's do that first. So cues are the powerful, subtle signals that humans send to each other. They come in four different channels, nonverbal, verbal, vocal, and imagery. Imagery is like fonts, colors, what's behind me in my background. Those are like the imagery cues. Why I was, when I saw the name of your podcast in your book, I was like, brilliant. I was like cheering you on You didn't even know, is because you have two very powerful verbal cues in that title. And what the research shows, and this is the research that grounds the book that blew my mind. So I, this came out in 2002, it's been repeated many times, so it's very reliable science. It's found that very highly charismatic people have the perfect blend of two traits, warmth and competence that we love leaders, sellers, buyers, family members, friends who are both friendly and likable and trustworthy, but at the very same time, competent, capable, and efficient. So selling with love has two verbal cues and they are the perfect balance of warmth and competence so love is literally literally the ultimate warmth word i mean there's no higher warm word than love so love is a high warmth cue it signals compassion trust it gives us the warm and fuzzies we love to be loved we love to feel love selling is one of the ultimate competence words right to sell you have to have something good to offer you have to be in the know You have to be able to connect with people quickly. So selling is a highly competent word. So what really highly charismatic people do is they always are balancing out their words. So selling with love is literally the most charismatic title that I could possibly think of.
1: Wow, that is fascinating to hear and definitely done non-consciously. But again, you're speaking of something that most of us aren't even aware of because it's happening subconsciously, right? And this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you from what you had mentioned at the beginning, is you talked about these cues that some of these people, you call them the bad guys, right? So you have these bad guys that emit these cues that you might be able to detect the badness, yet they seem to be able to rise to the top and still amass influence what's going on there
0: yeah so our brain is a cue reading machine it is adapted to be a cue reading machine what's interesting is we tend to read cues subconsciously and it's only when a cue comes into our consciousness that we can activate it the goal with cues is there's 96 cues in the book as you read them my goal is and as people have begun to read it they're like oh I've seen that cue. All I'm doing is taking your already spidey sense, amazing thing that you have in your brain to read these cues and just bring it to your consciousness so you can activate it. And what's really interesting, I'll give you a specific study that changed the way that I thought about nonverbal cues, is one research study found that when we spot a cue of social rejection, so this could be verbal, nonverbal, or vocal. So let me give you an example of each. So a nonverbal cue of social rejection would be an eye roll while you're talking, It might be a disgust nose crinkle when you say something to someone, a colleague. It might be a turn away or a look back or an overhead gaze. Okay, those are nonverbal cues of social rejection. A vocal cue of social rejection might be, right? You hear, like, I'm irritated, I'm exasperated, or, "Mm," right, like, I don't believe you. So it could be a vocalization. And a verbal cue of social rejection would be, and this happens all the time in meetings, I don't think we can do that. I don't think so. I don't like that idea. Probably not. What are you doing here? Right? Those are all very clear verbal cues of I didn't say the right thing or I'm not in the right place. Okay. So if we spot a cue of social rejection in any channel, our field of vision widens. They've actually measured that the way that our pupils dilate, they expand to take in more. We can see more. The reason for this is because our body instinctively spotted that cue, even if consciously you didn't realize it. And we don't want to be rejected socially, right? Back in our caveman days, that would have threatened our survival. So what happens is our body immediately adapts to it, widens our field of vision to see, does anyone else not like me? What's my escape route? What do I do next? And so following that cue of social rejection, your body actually changes. And there are so many ways this happens. Cues that we spot not only affect us subconsciously where we get that spidey sense, it actually changes our physiology.
1: Oh my God. So now this is what's fascinating is I hear this and I start thinking, okay, I can become aware of this, which means I can be more in control in the way that I react, especially if let's say I'm in a, meeting, right? Maybe I'm a salesperson, I'm presenting to a group and I'm noticing these elements of rejection. I would think that my heart rate would also go up. I would think that I'd start sweating, but now I'm aware that, you know, this is a cue that just happened. So obviously it has a trigger effect. Can we have any kind of mastery or control on our reaction?
0: Yes. So this is the next level, right? Like, so I think that when we talk about learning cues, step one is decoding. Right? What are the ninety six cues? How can I spot them, categorize them, and know what they are? The next step is encoding and internalizing. So encoding, you'll see in the book, I describe this as like a cue cycle that it kind of creates this little cycle in our body. So after decoding, we encode. So encoding are the signals we send to others. So it's not just I just spotted that eye roll. It's then, what do I do to keep myself calm, internalized, and counteract that eye roll to bring them back to me? So I'll give you a real example when I was selling. So I was giving a presentation, and it was with a group of small executives, and this presentation mattered because it was sort of a test presentation. You know, when you're selling, sometimes they'll kind of have you demo your wares. So I was demoing my presentation to come in to do their big conference keynote, like their big internal corporate keynote. So I was nervous and I really wanted it to go well. And so I'm around this table and I'm pitching. And I notice the COO give me what's called a lower lid flex. That's one of the 96 cues. So lower lid flex, you can try this with me. So just harden your lower lids as if you're trying to see better. You harden the your lower lids, right? The way that you can also try this is try to see something on the very far side of the room, like try to see a little speck on the wall. You'll narrow your eyes to try to see it this is a universal cue and what research has found is that when we squint our eyes our lids are trying to block in the amount of light coming into our eyes so we can see more details so when we're afraid we widen our eyes to take in as much as possible we don't need to see details we need to see as much of the environment as possible so we widen In a lower lid flex, we shrink our eyes to lower light so we can see details better. And that's actually what happens. When you shrink your lids and harden your lid, you see better. You can like read farther away. So I noticed the hardened lower lid flex. And lower lid flex is not a bad cue. It's not a danger zone cue. I call bad cues, danger zone cues. It's not a danger zone cue. It's actually a high competence cue. It signals that someone went from listening to scrutinizing or listening to judging. And it's usually an indication that someone is unclear, trying to figure something out, is feeling skeptical. Well, as a seller, that's extremely helpful for me to know, right? So I noticed that he hardened his lower lids, gave me a little head tilt. And so I paused and I said, this all makes sense? All good? Any questions? So instead of continuing on with my 15 slides that I had next, I took questions early. And I looked right at him when I said it. I was like, all good, any questions? Because I knew there was some hangup that he had in his head. And he said, yeah, I'm confused about something. And I was teaching about oxytocin. So oxytocin, I talk about it in Captivate, is the chemical of connection, makes us feel the warm and fuzzies. And he said, I don't understand. How can this chemical be the warm and fuzzies? I think that my wife had oxytocin when she was in labor. And it was this aha moment. I said, you're right, sir. Oxytocin is given to women to induce labor because literally oxytocin is coursing through one's bloodstream when she gives birth. For our purposes, oxytocin is socially warm. So literally oxytocin is important from the moment of birth. It was such a great aha moment because I was able to address that concern right off the bat. We kind of laughed about it, right? Everyone was like, oh yeah, right. And then I also learned for the future for teaching that when I teach about oxytocin, I have to give a caveat. I have to say, as a seller, as a teacher, oxytocin is a very complicated chemical. It does a lot of things in our bodies. But for our purposes, that has helped me prevent future lower lid hardens because I learned how to be a better teacher. So that was a very long answer to yes. (laughs) The answer is yes.
1: Well, I love this answer because I could just imagine the nervousness that could come up if you're doing a presentation and you see that little squint happen you might actually have a bad response and i could imagine i had a student that you know when she got into selling she was educating and then she kind of switched to the pitch and as she's doing the pitch she noticed people doing that squint and what she did is she started going really fast with the rest of the presentation because it triggered nervousness And this is a common thing that we do when we're selling is when we see a cue that we don't understand, we might get nervous and start speaking fast. But here you actually proposed a very strong course correction to actually start inquiring right away. And so I think this is actually a very powerful and applicable one.
0: You know, you're right. It's funny, our natural reaction to what makes us nervous, like what happens to us in fear mode, as you know, I joke that I'm a recovering awkward person. So for me. This book was interesting because these are the cues I literally use to socially survive. Because what happens, the reason I feel awkward interactions, the reason I get overwhelmed, the reason I'll be selling and I'm on my game and then I'm off my game. One bad cue and I'm like rushing, sweating, totally off my game is if I'm in control of the cues that I'm sending, if I know what cues mean it immediately takes down my social anxiety. And I do struggle with social anxiety. I immediately fell off awkward because I think the antidote to awkwardness, to anxiety is control. Confidence is great. And I love confidence. We talk a little bit about confidence in the book, but actually I prefer control. In a social interaction, I think that control over our cues, over the cues being sent to us, that's actually what beats anxiety.
1: I love what you're introducing in this book in the sense that, Now we actually can have tools so we become aware and then we can actually recode, as you say. And so if we want to be more competent in the way that we communicate, the way that we sell, the way we do presentations, then having an awareness of all these cues are extremely useful, which actually brings me to that dark side of it. And I think that was alluding a little bit to this earlier in the interview was that there's a lot of salespeople who can really learn how to sell and persuade. And in my concept, I call them the fear pride paradox. It's like learning the process of selling without caring for the responsibility that comes with selling. And so you can see these very effective call them those snake oil salespeople that in the process, they know how to use every cue to manipulate. And I use that word very deliberately because manipulation means persuading without empathy, without caring about the results of this manipulation. And this I think would be a very useful tool, maybe not for the sellers that are listening, but maybe for anybody who's interacting, looking to buy, is are there cues that we can pick up when they're quote unquote fake cues? Hmm.
0: Yeah, so I think that there's a fine line between purposeful and manipulative. And you got it right, the intention is everything. And so I think that first, just what I like to say is, If you are being purposeful with your cues, if you have a goal, a sales goal, a social goal, to bond, to connect, to set people up for success, that intention makes you purposeful. That means you are choosing and picking cues with purpose and intention. That is the only difference between purposeful manipulation, right? It's a very small difference, but it is a difference. Manipulative, I think, is when we are trying to take advantage of people when our intention is bad. So fake cues, we have a spidey sense for fake cues as well. And the reason for this is because congruence is incredibly important. So for example, if I show up to a pitch as my warmest, most competent self, so I really like this client, I really want the work, I believe in my presentation, my product, I am being warm and competent, I'm showing up as my warmest, competent self. If I show up and I don't really like the client, or I don't really know my stuff, I don't know as much about my product as I should, that is going to leak out in its own cues. So they've actually found there are leak cues. The first leak cue is going mute. So you'll often notice that people will withhold or stifle. And we notice this as humans, if someone's, you know, very animated and talking, and all of a sudden they kind of go more demure, go more mute, even people will lower their volume. So one thing that I've noticed is if people are unsure of their numbers, So I listen to a lot of sales pitches and a lot of sales calls. I love doing it. And what happens is if someone knows their number is not true, like they know that there's a lot of wiggle room on their number, they go like this, they either drop volume or do the question inflection. So they'll say, we'd love to have your work. We'd love to work with you. And the price of our service is $5,000. And that is because your body knows this number might get you in trouble. This number is not true. And so it's harder, literally physiologically harder, to get breath behind those words. Or, you see in our research, and I talk about this a lot in the book, we did a lot of lie detection research. We looked at what do liars do when they lie? What cues are they sending out? So we had people in our lab record Two Truths and a Lie. They play that game, I don't know if you remember that game? Yeah. So you say Two Truths and a Lie, and we paid very close attention to what people did on the lying statements. And it was fascinating over and over again. The same lying cues came up. The next biggest one after volume drop was question inflection. So someone would say, right, so about me, I love dogs. I'm a vegetarian and I traveled to Europe last year. So they would go up in their question because liars are asking, do you believe me? they also know it's not true. So their body leaks out. Is this true? (laughs) And so why I'm saying this is because if your intention is not good, if you're trying to cover something up, fake warmth or fake competence, there are all kinds of cues that you're going to have to work really hard to stifle. And it's almost impossible to cover those lying cues. Like for example, one of them is blink rate liars typically blink. Their blink rate shoots up. It's impossible to control your blink rate. I mean, if you want to control your blink rate, you'd have to literally sit there holding your eyes open. So if you can't control your blink rate and you're lying, you'll see this when people will lie. And actually, in some of the doping, when people were lying about doping in those interviews, they do these really, really rapid blinks when they're lying. And that is because when we're lying, we know it can get us into trouble. And so we literally want to close our eyes. So I say this because, yes, we can control most of our cues, but we can't control all of our cues. And when you're lying or faking it, you're lying verbally. It's very hard to also lie vocally and non-verbally. So that's why I think it's really important that you know your stuff. You love your products. You have really good intention because that will come through.
1: That is fascinating. And for me, the example, I think I've seen this clip on YouTube of former president, Bill Clinton, having that little intrication that happened. Well, he's like denying certain allegations with a massive rate of blinking. And so I think that was the, one of the things, but I love what you've shared, because now if I'm having somebody selling to me and some people can be quote unquote slick, these leaky cues are something we can pay attention to. And you're right. We have a little spidey sense that whispers something and it's almost like we repress it and We're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to ignore that. But that's a weird function of our body. Like, why would we do that?
0: You know, I think in a way it's kind of beautiful. Like, we want to assume the best. The problem is we want to assume the best. Actually, that's how con artists work. They take advantage of our desire to assume the best. And so actually research has found there's something called the Pollyanna effect. So Pollyanna, that classic movie that... People who are more suspicious and negative and skeptical and pessimistic do worse at spotting cues. So my goal with this book is actually to make you more optimistic. I wanna say, here are the cues you have to know. There's 96 of them, that's all you have to know. Now go love on people. Now that you know the cues, you don't have to worry that, is this person, is he smarming me? Like, is he conning me? No, because you know, did he use the question inflection? Is he using blocking? Is he using self-soothing? No, I didn't see a lip purse. I didn't see withholding. You can check and be like, no, I see the cues I trust. And so actually, I think you're right. I think that I don't want to create gotcha moments. And that people who don't know how to control cues are more skeptical and nervous. And oddly, that actually makes you worse at spotting liars.
1: Wow. I love it. And I love that you've been able to share not only things that can help us be you know, more aware if there are things we should be skeptical about, but it leaves us with kind of this idea that we can go out in the world being more of a loving matter. I love that we've covered also some of these things that we can detect in our own reaction to these cues. And obviously your book is going to go into so many details, 96 cues for us to detect. So again, if you're listening to this link for the book is in the show notes, go and grab a copy. You will not regret it, which brings me to a bit more of a self mastery here. And so for talking about our own ways that we give up, off cues. We get to learn what they are. And for some people that might be more nervous generally when it comes to doing presentations or being in the sales and kind of afraid of not being charismatic enough to sell, are there maybe one or two or a couple cues we could share that could be a very easy fix for someone listening right now?
0: Yes. Well, the first thing I would have you do, whether or not you're a nervous presenter or not, but especially if you're a nervous presenter is before you read the book, I would try to get your baseline So this is especially important for people who are pitching or presenting a lot or have a sales pitch before you even learn any more cues. As soon as this video is over or this podcast is over, I want you to either record your own pitch or grab a zoom recording or old recording of your pitch. The reason for this is because we don't see ourselves, right? We're speaking out to the world. It's hard to see. Wow. I do that nose crinkle when I'm talking about price. I crinkle my nose up when I talk about tights. That's actually a disgust cue. And people who hate talking about money will show their disgust as they're talking about money. We can't see that, right? We don't even know that we're doing it. So first, I would deliver your pitch or a version of your pitch on video, direct to camera, pretend there are real people in the room, pretend there are stakes, so you have your baseline. That is going to make you far more impactful when you're reading the book. And I don't actually give that recommendation to everyone, but for people who are listening to this show, I think that's critical because then you can self-diagnose. Ah, that's what's giving away my nervousness. Oh wow, look what I do when I get to that portion of the presentation. Why do I look different in my first impression versus my last impression? So first is I want you to get a baseline. Get that video, put the whole pitch on video. If you can, bonus points, pretend that someone asked you your least favorite question. A price objection a criticism, asking about your competitors, and answer that question right to camera. It gets a little bit more nervous. That's the first thing. The second thing is I actually want you to begin to diagnose. So if I had to pick one or two cues that just already are gonna help you, here's one really easy one, which is research is quite clear. Across cultures and genders and races, we do not like people who touch their face. I know. <laughs> I know, and this is really hard for me. and I have to work on it because I'm a face toucher. <laughs> I am a face toucher. And what they found very, very clearly in many studies is that when speakers on video, in person, touch their face, and that could be biting nails, that could be, you know, fixing makeup, that could be rubbing eyes, that could be fixing glasses, it's a signal to others subconsciously and consciously that they're nervous. And that is because touching the face are perilously close to lying cues. Liars literally touch their nose more often. Our one researcher, Alan Hirsch, I believe, found that Bill Clinton touched his nose 26 times when he was lying during the mon Lewinsky trial and only two times on the Honest Questions. So liars touch their nose. They scratch their nose. They touch their nose. They rub their nose. So we know that subconsciously. People who are very anxious mouth block. So they cover their mouth. Like you'll notice if you say to a kid, did you take that cookie? They're like, no. Like they cover their mouth because they're trying to withhold information. And there's also eye blocking where we cover our eyes. So all of those cues are really close. So even if you're face touching, not I'm nose, mouth, it's close. So try to remove those as much as possible try to remove any and all face touching if you can. And that sounds crazy, but that's a really easy one. I struggle with it still, so I really have to work on it. The only exception to it might be, and this was the favorite cue of Hillary Clinton, although she didn't win any election, so maybe this is something she has to work on, is a contemplation cue. A contemplation cue is when someone risks their chin on their hand. That might be the only exception to the face touch rule is you'll notice that very contemplative people, is it the thinker? Sculpture. So, you know, resting your chin on your hand, that's the only exception to that one. So that's one that I'll really easy one that I'll give.
1: I love it. And thank God you gave me the exception because I love putting my hand on the chin and being the thinker. And so at least I'm getting a pass for that one.
0: You're getting a pass, because that's contemplated, right? You're really thinking.
1: A hundred percent. And Listen, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You are on a roll. Congratulations on the book. We're so excited to be able to support it. Thank you for sharing with the community here these amazing insights. Again, we're talking about cues. There's all sorts of cues we have from our body, from the things we say, from the things we make sounds of, not say, but really when you start to learn all these different cues, you can start being better at communicating, better at understanding others, and better at recoding yourself and rewiring yourself so that you're able to actually React in a way that is more constructive in any of your presentations. There's so much more that you can decode yourself when you go deeper into the book. So of course, go and get a copy if you have a chance. And links are in the show notes. And of course, go out there, start studying yourself. I remember myself, you recommend to film yourself. I think when I first started doing presentation, I would clap my hands all the time. So I, highly support this idea. If you get a chance to film yourself pitching, watch your stuff, start studying these cues. And if you have the book alongside, you'll be able to pinpoint every single one of them, make some small corrections and be more effective in the way that you communicate. Vanessa, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I do want to ask you one final question, which I usually ask my guests on this show. It's called the Selling with Love podcast. So if I say Selling with Love, you've already gave us a great intro, but what does it mean to you?
0: For me, it's the perfect balance of warmth and competence. I knew that the moment that I heard it, which is when you're trying to sell something, you're trying to help someone, you're trying to build trust and connect with them, but you're also trying to help them from a competence place, make their life better, make them more successful, make them more effective. And that's that sweet spot of very highly charismatic people is hitting both.
1: Beautiful answer. Thank you so much, Vanessa.
0: Thank you so much for having me.